0: On the final episode of Where We Are of 2022, we'll cover some of the trends and stats and developments that we uh, that stuck out to us from the last year. You'll also get an update on Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> this is Where We Are. This is Where We Are, I'm Michael Ware. I'm Melissa. And it's good to be back. We're delayed. I know many of you are thinking, Michael, you're such a a pillar of reliability. Uh, You're uh, you're never late. Uh, You're always on time. Well, Melissa got in the way of that. Melissa, through her lack of professional decorum, (laughs) and really lack of commitment to you, the listener, forced us to be late, Uh, and so that's why you're getting this episode on a Tuesday, and not on Sunday as I would have had it. Melissa, be you care to tell the people maybe an apology is in order, Uh, perhaps Mea culpa. That's mm. that's basically another way of saying apology.
1: Thank you for translating.
0: Anything to share? Do you have any explanation for yourself?
1: Well, we usually like to give a warning before we miss an episode or a post on, recla- on our Reclaiming Hope substack, but we couldn't because on Friday I got an excruciating kidney stone and I went to the ER and I was hospitalized over the weekend. So while I was chilling in the hospital, Michael... You could have done where we are just by yourself, I guess.
0: Well, the people, the people want you, dear. Uh,
1: I mean, I'm not really sure about that. You can let us know. Which one do you like better, me I mean, or Michael? I mean, please look, let us know.
0: Look, there is. Uh, this is the social media age. People expect access to our lives. Uh, I didn't hear you suggest once that we record an episode live from the operating room of your minor surgery on Saturday. I mean, do you not trust the people? (laughs) Um,
1: I don't trust myself. I was put under general anesthesia.
0: Now, see, it could have been entertaining. It could have been
1: entertaining. It could have been like those wisdom teeth videos that you see afterwards when people get their, uh, their teeth pulled. But yes, this kidney stone knocked me out, folks. It was the worst. I have had active labor in my life for two children. I know what that feels like. And kidney stones are just as bad. This is my third kidney stone ever, and th- the first one I had to be hospitalized for. And now I have to go in for more procedures this coming week because it's not gone. It is still with me. I am carrying around a little stony.
0: I mean, ac- actually, relative to kidney stones, it's quite developed. <laughs> uh, it's a larger than the average bear.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's a large kidney stone. My body basically said, I'm going to do the most.
0: Yep. Uh, This came just days into uh, your 35th year.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm 34. I hate when people say it like that because I'm 34, (laughs) not 35. (laughs) Yes, my birthday was on Tuesday. And I had a great day. I had a great birthday. And then I arrived to the ER literally hunched over and yelling out, please help me. And the two front desk uh, people who are checking in, registering folks go, you know, as they're gathering my name. And I'm like huffing and puffing because I was at a 10 out of 10 on the pain scale. And they go, oh, happy belated birthday. And I'm like, just give me in. (laughs) Thank you. Y'all,
0: so we were at the aquarium. Yes. You know, wonderful holiday trip with the girls. And uh, (laughs) instead, like 20 minutes in. We had just got uh, made it to the penguins and Melissa, who had told me, you know, I'm not feeling well. I need to step away. Um, so I'm like, oh, convenient. Just leave me with uh, these two tyrants uh, in an aquarium while you uh, probably, I don't know, uh, take a smoke outside. I don't know. <laughs> Melissa doesn't smoke. <laughs> uh, but then I get a text saying, uh, I think I need to go to the ER. So obviously run the kids down and uh melissa is vomiting in the bushes in front of the <laughs> national aquarium with
1: children walking around
0: <laughs> sersha was fascinated
1: sersha was very worried
0: uh, she's like what is what is mommy doing behind the like is this a game uh, so yeah that's melissa, why we're late that's why we're late i think it's i think it's a sufficient Sufficient excuse. I'm glad you're feeling somewhat better, dear.
1: Yeah, I still don't feel great. But it's better than what it was. It was the worst.
0: Yeah. Um, Plus, I can get some peace and quiet because you're not groaning and moaning in pain. (laughs) My, How obnoxious.
1: (laughs) You saw me cry. And I don't cry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Let me get some sleep here instead of this incessant, whining, oh, I feel like I'm having a child. Did oh, I have the woman flu?
1: <laughs> like you had the man flu last month?
0: <laughs> hey, that sinus infection was serious, okay? <laughs> did I, you go to the ER? I felt like a real... Did you
1: spiritually go to the ER? I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, you were I there did. in spirit? Okay. I was. I was in the ER in spirit uh, at Ten out of ten on the on the spiritual malaise scale. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, all right, we, we do we do have a,
1: a lot to talk a about. lot to
0: talk about, Melissa. Yeah. Where really we just thought for this episode we touch on just a few of the flashpoints, uh, kind of culturally and societally. Yeah, versus political flashpoints. Yeah. So last episode we covered some of the political news and developments but but yeah we thought we'd cover some of the societal stuff uh outside of politics melissa where should we do you want we to begin? start
1: with religious demographics sure religious demographics in particular we have some new data both in the uk and the us but let's start with the uk uh the the new data from the uk's national census you know their biggest survey of the population there they found that for the first time ever Fewer than half, so fewer than 50% of people in England and Wales, so those two those two countries, describe themselves as Christian. Um, and uh, the, uh, the amount of people who said that they have no religion increased um, to 37.2% of the population. So that's up from 25% from the last survey. And then those who are identifying as Muslim um, rose four point nine percent in two thousand eleven to six point five percent in this latest survey. And by latest survey, I mean twenty twenty one. If I hadn't mentioned that, so especially for what was formerly a majority Christian country, now they can. It's under it's under fifty percent now, and it's been heading in that direction for a long time in the UK, but to actually see it specifically in England and Wales is it's just you know
0: It's a milestone. It's
1: a milestone, yes, that's the word and, I'm It's you know, particularly
0: interesting after we saw as we've discussed on the show before, and I even read the sermon uh, for the morning five, mm-hmm. you know, we saw British Christianity have sort of global influence mm-hmm. and and uh, you know platform this year with the death of Queen Elizabeth the um, crowning of King Charles and a, a reminder of just how Christian in ritual in sort of mm-hmm. uh, in in structure uh, uh, it So much of British politics and British society is, you know, I think it's um, the humanist, secularist lobby in the UK. I'm comfortable calling it like an actual lobby. It's an actual constituency. Mm -hmm. Now, just like in the U.S., it doesn't represent all people who don't identify with religion mm-hmm. there are really inflated claims but um, but but there's an organized uh, uh, secular humanist lobby in the UK that, that I just don't see in the states yet there are some organizations but I just don't see them as having impact and, and in the UK like I think they're organized enough and it's even in this BBC article, like he makes exactly the, the, the head of one of the big secular humanist groups in the UK makes exactly the sort of strategically like the move I'd make, which is, OK, now less than half of British society identifies as Christian. Uh, we as a democratic issue, we need to look at are these various ways in which Christianity is
1: embedded, you know,
0: embedded in mm-hmm. our in our processes and in our in our culture and our politics. Now here's the thing, Melissa. I would venture that a significant percentage of those who would say that they're not personally religious, mm-hmm. because of their identity as British, would be resistant to the removal of uh, those sort of Christian uh, rituals,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, uh, from British society so you know like that entire percentage of the of the public that don't identify as christian significant percentage of that block totally comfortable with for Mm -hmm. instance king charles's remarks on on faith so so this won't doesn't necessarily break out politically or culturally in the way that, that people might first think but it is a significant development of as you said this ongoing trend that's on both sides of the Atlantic. The sort of religious disaffiliation and the the fall of uh, the decline of uh, Christian identity in in the West.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see throughout Europe too. Numbers looking like this as well, and you find people if you survey them or ask
0: them well, questions. Well, UK is it's not the most, but but UK is. Far higher Christian uh, yes. rates than other European countries. Yes, so, but to speak no. to your, but I wanted to
1: speak to your point sure. about how in Europe as well, it's not surprising the UK is, is is going down this road because religiosity in Europe is a lot lower, and I've always viewed Europe as a sort of anomaly rather than the future or the inevitability when it comes to. Um, uh, Regional religiosity, that type of that type of thing, but for for a lot of people in like France or Germany, wherever name a country, it's it's a religion of rituals that people will identify as atheist, agnostic, or you know as some kind of nun and um, will still attend funerals, uh, attend baptisms, even get their children baptized, um, participate in religious aspects of Christmas or other religious or Easter. And still call themselves a part of, like, that percentage who would identify as some kind of, some form of nun. Because they've surveyed it that a lot of people um, like the ritual because it is a ritual and they find it to be comforting. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see if the UK also goes down that route as well, where if these numbers continue to, to um, grow on the nun side and decrease on the on the Christian side, and you'll also see again when, with with um, the number of people identifying as Muslims growing as well, that brings a whole other type of religiosity to yeah, the realm. Yeah, jumped
0: from something like four mm-hmm. percent to six point five.
1: Yeah. And I mean that doesn't get anywhere near France because France is like the one of the biggest populations of Muslims. But that obviously brings another religi- religious dynamic to country to politics to, to the social fabric, um, and I think that the UK is not inevitably going to go fully towards the European route, but I I think the writing is pretty much on the wall. It's the United States where we have a new Pew survey that came out this year uh, that came out in the last couple of years that we're seeing that the number of Christians are declining as well, where in 2020, Christians were accounted accounted for. 64% 64% of the US population that's including children and those who are not affiliated with religion grew from 16% in 20, 2007 to 30% in 2020. So we see these sort of corresponding numbers but like the thing is is that like when you think about it again you you hinted at it already with like the monarchy and things like that uh the church of England is obviously a very powerful force the official religion of England is um you know uh The church of england like that that's an official the united states doesn't have an official religion so um the comparing and contrasting that can be done here is is limited in some ways but we are talking about them separately in terms of just being interesting demographic changes
0: yeah i mean you'll remember in our earlier episode of where we are we talked about pew numbers uh on the sort of spiritual beliefs of the religious nuns Mm -hmm. that showed like some like insane number believed in reincarnation, believed that Mm -hmm. uh, physical objects could be charged with spiritual power or Mm -hmm. energy. And so, you know, this is kind of the problem, one of the problems that like the humanist secular humanist lobbies have, which is their rhetoric is all like, you know, where are the... We're the ones who believe in science, and you know, Rationality. Are, yeah, we're the completely rational ones. And then you like pull their members, and, and it's like, uh, n- n- like something more is, is going on here mm-hmm. than just like a hard look at at reality. And of course, you know, I'd be remiss if I'd say, um, I think that um, uh, I think that uh, those who um, uh, uh do not identify uh, as religious as Christian uh, would benefit from taking a harder look at at reality and so uh, uh it's so so yeah so I think it's um uh, I think these these uh, numbers are certainly developing going to have all kinds of political cultural personal uh we're gonna talk about mental health later on. I don't think that these trends are completely disconnected. Mm-hmm. I think the last thing I'd say on 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 this point, uh, just just on on this conversation, um, is that while there is a decline, we've spent a lot of time in the UK. what we've that, spent a lot what of that time. doesn't mean is that there aren't thriving vibrant, vibrant, close Christian communities that and are having tre- committed to serving and yeah they're having tremendous impact in the
1: community yeah they're
0: having tremendous impact on their communities yeah. and and on the lives of people and
1: and doing tremendous interfaith work especially you know with with mentioning like the you know uh, increasing population of muslims like we, we've seen some fantastic partnerships between christians and muslims in the uk um yeah i think that's a really good point to bring up
0: yeah okay what else do we have
1: so uh, one of the, I mean, one of the biggest stories of, you know, what, the last six weeks is social media's future. And this will lead into that good conversation on mental health. So pairing like this, this the religious demographics in social media, and then looking into mental, mental health. So we all know that Elon Musk took over Twitter several weeks ago, and all of a sudden, We were starting to get think pieces and tweets and posts and, uh, you know, all kinds of things saying Twitter's going to crash, Twitter's over. And then, you know, a few days into sort of uh, people sort of predicting like the crash of Twitter, you see like a big essay in the Atlantic saying Instagram is over, that Gen Z um, doesn't use Instagram as much as millennials do. And they're mostly on TikTok and Snapchat and YouTube. And it's true, there are studies on this about, especially, you know, you know out of Pew again, about how much um, Gen Z uses YouTube about, the, there's like 60, 65% of them say that they're on YouTube constantly. Um, and so it's, you know, if Instagram is losing traction, we know that Facebook has been, and Meta broadly has been has been losing traction. And it seems like a lot of, in a lot of ways, generation, generation. Uh, social media is being used by certain generations where Facebook is mostly being used by Gen X baby boomers and Instagram millennials and Snapchat, TikTok, Gen Z, although those aren't like clean cut lines. You, you can find all kinds of people who use all kinds of um, platforms. But we have a lot of data on how detrimental social media has been to the mental health of people of all ages not just the younger generations not just teens and we've seen you know articles in the new york times over the past few years about those in silicon valley who um, work in these different who work in the tech sector who work in these different companies saying that they don't allow their own children to have smartphones or to have access to social media I remember reading that New York Times article, and I'll try to post it in the notes, and I remember showing it to Michael going, if the people who have built these platforms don't want their kids having the platform, what does that say? Michael, do you want to jump in here?
0: Yeah, I mean... Do
1: you think social media is winding down? Do you think it's hit a plateau? Me
0: too. No, I mean, look... I think it's been fascinating. Uh, I was just thinking of this this week. For, you know, the last decade, Twitter has been a platform primarily where people could talk about all the ways in which they're standing up for their beliefs and, and all the things that people must do if they really believe something. And, you know... Tell you know, uh, disinvite your uncle from Thanksgiving, or make sure you really tell him what's what, and don't let him get away with anything at uh, around the Thanksgiving table. Or you know, make sure that you're uh, you know, um, uh, you know, getting all of your food and clothes, whatever sourced, all that stuff. And very few people have been willing to apply a tenth. Of the rigor that they've been of, apl- they they've been using the platform of Twitter for everyone else uh, to their own usage of Twitter by their own moral standards. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. you know, like you just have this kind of outrageous thing where uh, uh, you you know I you feel like you could think of dozens and dozens of examples of, oh, you shouldn't watch this show because this is the producer on it, or you shouldn't buy this because this person's the CEO. Well, Elon Musk is the CEO of Twitter. He's made it pretty clear who he wanted, uh, what his political leanings are. He's expressed a point of view on a number of subjects. And yet, because like now people would have it would cost people something to get off of Twitter mm-hmm. like they, they 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 just can't do it so you get all these endless people will put in their bio their 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 username for an alternative social media but they're not on that social media platform they're still on on Twitter so that that's just one no i don't think social media is going anywhere certainly not in like the short to medium term. Like all technologies, it will evolve. I think we are in a period in which the cycles like last a lot shorter, just kind of, you know, naturally. Like there are so many new technologies Mm -hmm. developing, communication styles Mm -hmm. develop so frequently. So I, I don't know if social media, as we currently conceive of it, Is going to be dominant for the next 50 years but no I don't think it's going anywhere because like Elon Musk bought Twitter or because or frankly sadly you know even because of the mental health issues you know we're seeing like Mm -hmm. I just don't think that the um, I don't think that the Negative um, consequences of social media are enough to roll it back. I mean, I do think that we'll see some kind of legislation over the next mm-hmm. three to five years, uh, especially
1: on privacy concerns, and, privacy you know, concerns,
0: TikTok. and and like targeting kids mm-hmm. and then eighteen yep. and under. Um, but but yeah, no. It, uh, I, and Melissa it is one of those things where um it's amazing how early you have to start thinking about it as a parent mm-hmm. um we own we have a four year old and a twenty one month old and it's like yeah um, uh, you know do you you know, Suresha will uh, ask to look at our phones to see photos, but we will often like look at each other and have conversations about, you know, if she's using our phones for photos, does that, to, to look at photos or to watch a, a video together, is that building up a sort of um, intuition mm-hmm. or, or sort of instinct mm-hmm. to, to go to the phone that then will sort of like have, uh, You'll know, build up over time mm-hmm. uh, and lead into, and it. I, I do think that there can be a, um, an oversensitivity and like a just a parental like hand wringing, but it also seems like very relevant. I mean, I think there have been enough stories to suggest, and Jean Twenge's work uh, is is really uh, convicting on this point that if you're if, as parents and as people, if we're not um, if we're not thinking proactively about how we're engaging social media, um, then it has a it has a kind of force um, that can override like what's best for us as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah,
1: yeah. I the last thing I'll say about that because you mentioned our kids and their ages, but. There was this great New York Times article this past week on the Luddite teens who are avoiding social media altogether and even owning phones. And so I don't think social media is going anywhere in the next five years. I agree that's going to most likely revolutionize again because I do think that there will be enough younger folks who want different channels and it will depend, and by channels or apps, you know, that will operate on sort of different norms. Because I do think Gen Alpha coming up—the the the, that's our kids' generation—and who are being mostly, I mean, obviously there's some Gen X raising Gen Alpha, there's some Gen Z raising Gen Alpha, but it's mostly being raised by millennials. That we are, we've seen the parents of Gen Z go before us as being digital, you know, being um, completely digitally connected and seeing what has gone down. And I mean, we personally know so many parents who are actively thinking about limitations of some kind in their children's lives. And it will be interesting then with those limitations, how children of the gen alpha generation will relate themselves to social media if, they will, if the smartphone addiction will become a thing. I mean, a lot of teens are now buying flip phones so that you know the flip phone is pretty much only good for texting and calling and that's all it's good for.
0: So what I'd love to see is like some my instinct here is to think like that this is going to be just another iteration of the inequality that springs yes from class and resources but also oh, from yes. family structure. Yes, yes. So yes, you know, yes, my, yes. my my guess would be the kids who are thinking about buying flip phones. Um are doing so within the context of conversations with their parents mm-hmm. and their 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 present involved parents, like mm-hmm. pointing things out to them, or even, I mean, we, we know we know parents who have just sort of laid down the and their kids don't get smartphones. Mm-hmm. So I guess looking forward, what I'm interested to see in 2023 is do we uh, do we see to touch on the politics a bit? Do we see significant Uh, regulation take place at the state or federal level? Two, do we continue to see this sort of weird um, concentration of technology at the lower ends of sort of household income and uh, at sort of higher ends, a sort of asceticism when it comes to technology? Is that a a a weird kind of inequality that we see continue uh, into 2023. And then third, I'm interested in young people themselves and the extent to which they sort of take this into their own hands. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, there are these, uh, I I was actually having dinner with some folks uh, this past weekend and talking about, uh, be real mm-hmm. and the, these sort of new kinds of social media interactions that are um, you know, trying to react against and correct some of the worst of what has developed uh, with uh, it, you know with with social media um, while while keeping they hope you know some of the some of the best aspects the connectivity to to friends the ability to express yourself that kind of thing
1: Mm -hmm. it is amazing to me that the the main platforms that younger people use so that's tiktok snapchat um be real now and youtube that all of those do do trend towards uh showing you more authentically or showing you like in your darkest moments your happiest moments although like you know we're on tiktok and we see all kinds of acting and like reality tv show-esque type stuff going on there that i would be surprised if tiktok starts to suffer from that from the younger generation sort of sniffing that out not wanting that anymore and that's why be real getting on, on in on the front end with this idea that you know being more authentic you know exactly where you are in the moment is a probably quite appealing to young people who from literally since the day they were born have been surrounded by social media channels where it's all about performance um, and b-roll is not about performance and I see that TikTok is starting to become, become about performances and Snapchat, I'm not on it as much anymore um, that I can see that one surviving as well because you can't really perform on Snapchat too much It's just that's just not how it's built but With the with the teen and the child mental health crisis that's connected to all of this, um, I mean we just have staggering numbers right now. And I mean a lot of the discourse over the past, you know, since the pandemic started in March 2020, a lot of people have blamed COVID for being the main sort of cause of this rise in teen mental health issues. And a lot of the studies are now saying that it was it exacerbated a lot of the issues for young people, but it's not like the sole cause because there's some, I'm gonna read off some CDC numbers here. So from a CDC study um, from 2009 to 2017, so way before the pandemic, um, depression spiked 69% amongst 16 to 17 year olds. And then from 2009 to 2020, the share of high school students feeling persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%. That's the highest level ever recorded. So that does go into a little bit of the pandemic from 2009 to 2021. And now, um, suicide is now the second leading cause of death for children 10 to 14. So we have numbers here that are being talked about a lot because they're just so alarming. Um, and, you know, people call it an epidemic. And I mean, I think that's an appropriate term for it. Uh, and COVID exacerbated a, a lot of these issues. But I mean, you kind of go back and you look at, I mean, a lot of people are trying to find like the silver bullet of what caused it. But you look at like when with the measure of this sort of exponential increase in, in these various areas, I mean, social media... Really came about around two thousand three, two thousand four, with you know the the Facebook that only like I think college students had access to, but then MySpace was accessible to everyone in 2006, like six, seven. Um, it's interesting that those things started when these well, rates went up.
0: Well, right, and, and just to be clear, this is this is the argument that uh, the psychologist Jean Twenge yes. makes in her in her new book, and and that's exactly the point uh, that you know it's it's. It, uh, Dr. Twinge has looked at sort of um, the, the possible uh, various possible kinds of explanations, of the financial downturn of 2007 uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and has found that they don't quite match up. Yeah, they the don't qu- the, They don't yeah. quite explain what we're seeing when it comes to mental health and young people. Uh, but the smartphone uh, and sort of the technology surrounding it uh, does in some really striking ways. So you can read more on this if you're interested. Uh, Jean Twenge's book is uh, iGen, the, the, the new one. I actually was able to um, hear Jean present on this uh, on her new book at an event hosted by our friends at Baylor. And, uh, and it's, it's meaningful uh, uh, and, and really hits you hard when mm-hmm. you think about all, all, of, all of these uh, I, challenges that young, young people are facing. Yeah,
1: I mean, the, these numbers and I mean, the young people we know, I mean, it, it just makes me think constantly when it comes to um, smartphone, smartphone usage and social media. I don't have the exact number in front of me right now, but scientists say that we only understand like a very small percentage of how the brain works. And yet we are giving people, I mean, as young as like one, two, access to these things that deeply alter brain waves and how the brain is connecting and processing and relating to other people, relating to the environment, when we don't really know how the brain works. And yet we're handing out like these You know, these tools, these apps, these landscapes, you know, the metaverse, when we don't, when we're kind of like just sort of grappling, like we're just sort of walking around in the dark. Um, Just reading it, that's just the, that's what I think about when I think about social media and smartphones, is that we just don't understand exactly uh, especially with adolescent brains that are really in change mode, that are developing rapidly, we just don't know how exactly it is hitting and why some kids, you know, can be on social media and can have a smartphone and, you know, um, fare well with with both those things at hand, and, and others don't. Um, I'll I'll end my point there, but. We have a few other things to talk about. Did you have anything else to say, Michael?
0: No, no. I mean, I think. Look, I don't think mental health issues all boil down to sort of one one cause. So I don't, I don't mean to suggest uh, suggest that, but because of all of the changes in social media, both in who's running it and some of the data coming out. It, it is something specific to keep an eye on, mm-hmm. and then of course, what we haven't discussed in this episode is you know there's the whole sort of disinformation, misinformation, mm-hmm. you know, aspect of social media as well. Um, so so it's it's something to look for in 2023. How how this conversation develops,
1: and just our last sort of section on a, what has been sort of a tech conversation is artificial intelligence, AI. Uh, You've probably seen it in the news a lot the past few weeks. um, A bunch of different ways that AI is starting to integrate itself into our lives. Uh, If you're on any of the social media platforms, you've probably seen AI-generated art. Um, You've probably seen, and we've included in the top five last week, um, articles on ChatGPT, which is basically... An AI generator of words where you can give it a prompt and then it will write, you know, short essay, long essay. We've got AI that's writing poetry, um, and I think that AI is just going to continue to become a bigger and bigger social conversation that will that is already spilled over into political conversations, but that I think. I think there needs to be a more holistic conversation around it. and I think that politics wise that politicians and those you know on school boards, whatever um, at the local level, state level need to be talking about this more because again, it feels kind of like we're sort of walking in the dark and these things are just you know cropping up and we think, oh that oh how fun it created a little you know art image because I told it about you know, uh myrtle beach and then it created this image and oh, it wasn't that funny and cute or weird or whatever and there's some serious conversations around actual artists human beings and that how they create art and you know will ai replace the artist I, I mean that sounds like a very drastic conversation but i think it's one to be had just like you know ai writing poetry or ai writing essays um, what will that do to uh, the learning loss that we already have out of COVID if kids are just going to a chat GPT to write their essays? Um, I'll I'll end there, but do you have any comments?
0: Yeah, I mean... So I think this goes to a number of really big philosophical sort of yeah. questions. First is... You know this idea that if you can't discern the difference then the difference doesn't matter that if you can't discern that something is a is produced through ai then um then what um what what harm could it do or or what's what's the harm in 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 using it and really like what's what's the difference i think that's like a pretty i think you lead into some really dangerous places when that when that question becomes something that is democratized and some something that you know people are actually um Thinking about in their in their day to day lives, as you know, Melissa, my my favorite um, novel is Never Let Me Go, and of course, at the center of Never Let Me Go is this idea that uh, I won't uh, we'll try not to give too much away, but this idea that through producing artwork, uh, people could um, uh, convince the broader public of their humanity, that sort of their soul would come through. Well, you know, what what happens if we get to a point where it becomes like just widely held that there is um, no real discernible, distinction between what can be produced by a human being with a soul and, and AI. And and what, what does, what does that do to people's sense of loneliness or uh, the value they contribute to the world? So I think that's like a, you know, that's like a deep, deep, uh, deep question that um, is, is presented by, by these technologies I think at the political and social level, I think particularly like the chat GPT, mm-hmm. uh, um, just the awareness of that technology, not to mention the more c- creative uses that will come from it, but just the, the idea that it's available uh, and to the extent that that becomes sort of widely known uh, you know, it's almost like, forget, like for, like, forget all the conversations or all of the, all of the projects to restore trust in politics or mm-hmm. restore trust, um, all, all of that. However, many hundreds of millions of dollars have been poured into that effort over the last decade. Um all of that is mere triage and mere sort of like uh, uh you know stemming the 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 bleeding in comp- yeah let, let's put it this way. it's it's as if, yeah it, as if you uh, had a patient that came in with a knife wound. And you're addressing the knife wound, uh, and then uh, they get shot with a bazooka. (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. it's you know, it's just like this. This is. um, Imagine if the voter has to have in their back, has in the back of their mind the doubt that a letter they received from their congressperson uh, was actually written by someone who works for the congressman, or whether it was an AI-generated response that included inputs about their preferences, was tailored to mollify uh, mollify them, produce a certain kind of psychological or social response. uh, And it gets... It's very hard to have a society, Melissa. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I mean, for, I feel like I'm an AI alarmist, and I probably am by, by a lot of people's definitions. But I just don't see. I mean, societally, if, I'm just speaking to the U.S. here. Societally, I just don't see us having much impulse control to be able to to control AI towards actual real benefits towards people, and then to stem like the 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 sort of negative externalities that will come out of the the continuous development of AI. Like, you know, if we actually lived in a society that said, let's develop AI towards um, accessibility and equality ends, and this is exactly what we'll use it for before, and for towards those goals while keeping it out of A, B, or C realm. I just don't see that happening because we've already let social media and smartphones take over and sort of... It, so the reason what I was trying to say before, and it just came to me now as I was thinking about AI, is that a lot of this stuff feels like we're playing a video game. And when we play video games, we kind of pre, you know you pretend that things aren't real, whereas we are actually in real life. We've allowed smartphones and social media to um, not just bring people together, but to tear people apart. That I can't see us you know allowing AI to continue on. It, in a sort of positive way, to me, it just seems like another, the sort of revolution in technology where it's, it's um, playing with people's lives and profits over people that I just don't, you know, I guess I'm an alarmist. I, (laughs) I, I don't see this going anywhere that is holistically, you know, on the whole, better for everybody. Well, it's
0: one of those things where it's just like, this is obviously where the technology was leading to. Yeah. I mean, and so it's, um, like so many other things, it's just sort of uh, this sense of when was a choice ever really even made? Mm -hmm. And doesn't it seem like whenever that choice was made that we already made it Mm -hmm. as a society? And... Uh, and so, so, you know, I, I do think it's going to be a vexing, a vexing problem for us, and, um, yeah, not to, not to mention it's the effects on education, the effects on so many areas of of, of life. Um,
1: I mean, you and I talk all the time about how. You know, 10 years ago, it was this huge push for every school um, to get funding from some foundation to, you know, put a Chromebook in every child's hands. Well, and, right. And yeah, now we, we talked see, about this earlier. And now yeah. we see in you know, a lot of private schools are taking those pieces of t- well, t- technology exa- yeah. away. And um, I think that that kind of um, inequality when it comes to how much technology permeates young people's lives, I think that that will that that chasm will just grow
0: yeah yeah no i think that's I think that's i think that's right so those are some of the items that we wanted to discuss in in this episode uh but we're really interested what trends what developments Maybe you all have some positive <laughs> trends that, that you saw develop over 2022 at the level of, of, of society and culture. We'd love to hear them. And uh, please reach out to us and let us know what we should have our eyes on uh, in uh, in and for 2023. Melissa, anything you want to uh close out with this will be our last episode before the new year and so we'll
1: we hope everybody has a wonderful holiday and a very happy new year we are so glad that you've joined us this year especially as we rebranded and joined the that sounds fun network we're grateful that you're along for the ride and honestly all i can say is that me and my kidney stone say peace out my beloved kidney stone
0: Bye. bye You got to do a bye in the voice of the kidney stone.
1: Oh. Bye.
0: (laughs) It's very abbreviated. (laughs) Gravelly. Yeah.
1: Bye.
0: (laughs) I still want to turn up. All I want is to go.